Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. We are doing Ruth chapter 2 verses 1 to 23 and so the title again, the providential meeting. Now, when you live in a house with four boys, one of the things you hear a lot is it was an accident. You walk into a room and there's a, a wall full of marker and one of the boys looks at you and he says, it was an accident. You come into the basement and there's a brother on the floor crying because they've been kicked in the stomach and a brother looks at you, one of the boys, and says, it was an accident. You walk into the living room and there's a boy standing on the coffee table in his brief dancing. And you say, what are you doing? And he says, it was an accident. Now I tell you all of that because accidents do happen in life. But the meeting today in this text is no accident. It happens because God is working in his good providence. See, the way Esso provides gas, the way Spotify provides music, the way Hanny provides auto service, God uses this meeting to provide for Ruth and Naomi. Here's the big takeaway from our passage today. God is kind, and he provides for the people who trust him. God is kind. The text is going to make that very clear, and that he provides for the people who trust him. This idea of trust comes from the fact that last week we saw Ruth declare. She said, your God will be my God. She makes a trust. She said, I'm going to trust God with my life, and the text shows that her faith is rewarded. And here's my pastoral aim today in the message. I want us to see the kindness of God, and then I want us to live the kindness of God. That's what my aim is. I want us to see God's kindness, then I want us to live like God. Godliness is God-likeness. It means being like Him. So verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Now Naomi had a relative, a husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall, shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So we hear this introduction of Boaz, that he is a worthy man. Another way this could be in Translated as a real substantial man of character. And so what we're being told here is Boaz is a solid citizen. He's financially stable. And he is a man of integrity and character. It's a man that every man should strive to be like. Verse 3 says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened 
to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. It says here, Ruth goes out and she happens to come upon the field belonging to Boaz. In the original language, this would be translated more literally, her chance chanced. And so what the writer is actually doing is he's being uh, excessive. It's a rhetorical device to actually say it's not chance that she comes upon the field because God is making sure that it happened, that this is not chance. He's pointing to the sovereignty of God. And then in the text it says, and behold. Now, anytime you hear the word behold in Scripture, it's, it's the Bible saying, pay attention. You don't want to miss this. It's like a teacher saying, kids, students, Carla, leading her, one of her kids saying, look up here, look up here, look at me. Saying, pay attention. The writer is saying, and wouldn't you know it, Boaz shows up. It's a meeting that reveals the providential hand of God. That's what this meeting does. And then Boaz says, the Lord be with you. Then he, that's how he talks to the people who work for him. And they're like, and the Lord bless you. See, Boaz is a brother who doesn't leave his faith at home. He takes it to work. And it's the same thing for us. Our faith shouldn't stay at home. We bring it out. And I know these are times where it's like talking about Jesus at your job is not that easy. But we can still be wise and respectful and open. I love God. I love Jesus because he has done this in my life. Not hiding who we are. Not being in the closet about our faith, but open. Yes, wise and respectful, but open. And here's another thing. We make plans, but our steps are ordered by God. That's the main thing this, passage, this, this piece of text is showing. We make a plan, but the steps are ordered by God. Ruth, all she's doing is she's going, she's going out to work. That's, that's her plan. I just want somebody to give me a job. She doesn't realize when she takes the step out that door that she's going to meet the man of her dreams. The steps are completely ordered by God. See, God is always working. I said this last week, always working in our lives. And it's subtle. But we need to be people who pay attention. Our steps are ordered by him. Even where our church is at right now, our, the world, our steps are ordered by God. And the wise thing to do is just to surrender to the providence of God and trust his goodness over us. Verse 7 says, then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves until the, uh, after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Here's a woman who models hard work and humility. Hard work and humility. Now, some jobs are easy. House sitter. I learned today, that, or yesterday, not yesterday, earlier this week, that there's a job called a video game tester. That just doesn't seem hard. A pool boy. I was a pool boy once. I know it's not hard. You just wear shorts and kind of, you know, drive from place to place. But gleaning is hard. 
It's work that you, it's, you're in the hot sun for long hours. You were behind machines. You were, you were dirty. But Ruth, not afraid of hard work. She actually embraces it. She says, please let me glean. There's the humility. She asks, let me do this. And then it says she continued from early morning until now. In verse 17, it says that she, she gleaned an epoch of barley. That is 30 to 50 pounds. It's a huge haul. This would have lasted them two weeks. And in verse 23, that she said, it says that she gleaned until the end of the harvest. Which means if she kept up this pace, she, 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 made an, she, she brought in a ton of food for them. This would have been food that lasted a long time. Her willingness to work hard, her, her humility to ask for a job, made it so that she could provide for herself and provide for Naomi. See, hard work shouldn't be feared. It's not something that we run from, like Pastor Yogi would run from a skunk. We embrace it. We embrace it in in every area of our lives. Whether it comes to work, our spiritual growth, our relationships, we work hard in these areas so that we can grow and bless others. Now, here's the thing, though. Working hard doesn't mean you don't rest. Notice that it says in the text that she took a short rest. So you don't want to go too far on one side. Just, I'm just going to work hard, work hard, work hard. Whether it's like work or whatever, or physical exercise, there needs to be rest also. It says she took a short rest. Rest gives us a chance to recover. It's an embracing of our limitations. I can only go for so long without sleep and then, or a need for a break. We rest to recover. We also rest to evaluate. How's, the, how's it actually going? How am I doing at this thing? How's my, how am I doing at my job? Am I even enjoying my job? Am I enjoying that gym I'm choosing to go to? Am I even enjoying this friendship that I, I'm trying to put time into? We evaluate. We step back. We also rest to enjoy. Just enjoy life. Creation, the people in our life, food. You knew that one was coming. I love food. Just to enjoy. We want to make sure that there's balance that way in our life. Then verse 18 says that, uh, verse 8, sorry. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I, charged, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink and, uh, from what the young men have drawn. Here's a man who models kindness and generosity. Kindness and generosity. The, the word daughter tells you that he has this protective attitude towards her, a kind attitude. That's what he's adopted He says, when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink. See, practical care for people is always specific. It's never vague. If you're actually going to help somebody, you're specific. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's where you can get benefit. Then he says, keep close to my young women. What Boaz is doing here is he's inviting her into community. He is giving her something that she actually really needs, which is security. He's actually telling her, you're a part of the team. 
And when God brings somebody into our church, this is the way we are to treat them. This is the way we should treat them. Inviting them into community, making sure they know you're a part of the team. We care about you here. Then he says, have I, have I not charged my young men not to touch you? And then in verse 15, he says, he tells them to not reproach her. Now, what this should do is it should remind us of the context. Remember what we learned in verse 1. It says, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. This is a reminder of context. See, the time of the judges is not safe for women. It's a very dangerous time for women. The possibility of Ruth being harmed in the field, taken advantage of as a single widow looking for work, going from field to field, that possibility of harm is actually extremely high. And so what Boaz does is he, here is that he protect her, protected her physically, and he also protects her psychologically. Physical and psychological. Don't touch her and don't be rude to her. Don't speak to her in harsh ways. They, the reapers would have known that she was poor, that she needed help. They, would have, they could have easily talked to her in some rough ways. And he says, don't do any of that. And what Boaz is doing is he's teaching Christian employers how to treat the people who work for them. That you are to provide a space that is positive and safe and that people can actually be productive. You are to protect the people in your care. If God gives you the ability to be a, a boss or, 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 or over people in authority, provide protection for them, a safe workspace. You do this for women and for men. That is what is going on here. Then verse 14, it says, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed the roasted grain to her. He serves her. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean among the sheaves and do not, there it is, reproach her. Don't be harsh. He's kind generous, over the top. He serves her. And he's not stingy either. He's not just like, hey, here's just a little bit and I'm going to keep the, this for me. He, it says that he gives her so much that she has some left over. He's kind, generous. Then he makes her work easier. He says, when you're gleaning, he says, drop some for her. Make it easier for her to do this. Look at this guy. Look at the level of kindness that is flowing out of him. He even lets her glean before they're done. Just, he, he's just making life for her easy. Ruth is being blessed. She's like a person who wins the lottery and she can't believe it. You're like, where do you get that? Where, how do you know she can't believe it? Well, the text, verse 10. Also, and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of, sorry, I'm in, verse, I'm in chapter four. Let me flip back. Lost my spot. Verse 10 of chapter 2, not chapter 4. Then she fell on her face, humility, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? 
Here's a woman who's so aware of her immigrant status. She's like, I'm a foreigner. Why are you being this kind to me? And here's the other thing that the, the author of the text keeps highlighting her immigrant status. He keeps putting it in front of us that she is a foreigner. He, he tell, tells us all, over and over and over and over that she is a Moabite. Again, I said this last week. When you're reading your Bible and you want to find out some things that are going on, just pay attention to what's being re- repeated. Just good way to do exegesis. He calls her a Moabite in verse 2. He calls her a Moabite in verse 6. He calls her a Moabite in verse 7. He calls her a Moabite in verse 10. He calls her a Moabite in verse 12. He's just highlighting for us that when Ruth goes out, that there's no guarantee that she's going to find good treatment. Because in Israel, at this time, a foreigner wasn't always accepted. And she's going out looking for work. And so again, the author's trying to show us just how kind this man is being. Boaz welcomes her. He shows care and concern for her. You know what this does? It reflects the heart of God. It reflects the heart of God towards the poor. Listen to Leviticus. It says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the field right up to the edges, nor shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. You shall leave them. This is, this is the heart of God for the poor. For the poor and for the sojourner, the foreigner, the Moabite. I am the Lord. God's like, this is who I am. And this is my heart. Then in, then in Deuteronomy, when you reap the harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. He's like, don't turn back, leave it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Two categories that Luke fits in, uh, Ruth fits in. Sojourner, she's a foreigner, and she's a widow. The, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Boaz is actually showing over-the-top obedience to the word of God. This is the heart of God, and he's reflecting the heart of God. And this is the heart that God wants from us. When you read Matthew 25, do you know what Jesus says? Jesus says in Matthew 25 that one of the ways that you can know that you're a Christian is if you actually help the poor. It's a sign that you're truly saved when you help the poor, the widow, the sick, when you visit the person in prison. It means that your heart has been truly changed. Now I want to say before we move on from this that the way Boaz treats his employees and Ruth speaks to the issue of power. Shay and I wrote this together, mostly Shay, and I made a few edits here and there, but the, it says this, the, the way Boaz treats his employees and Ruth opposes the modern lie that a disparity in power always leads to abuse and oppression. Sometimes it does, but not always. Sometimes it is true that people use power in evil ways. Sometimes it's true that oppression does happen. Sometimes it's true that injustice does happen in power disparity, but not always. Boaz uses his God-given land in a way that pleases God. Remember, he's obeying the word. Pleases God, obeys his word, and is 
kind towards the people in his care. Everyone under the leadership of Boaz benefits because of the way he uses power and leadership. Boaz shows us that power and leadership can be used for the good of others. Just think of Jesus, all-powerful, but kind. Boaz has some power, but Jesus has all power, and he uses it for our benefit. We're sitting under the word today because there was a power disparity. But it was used for our good. So it's not always true. And all you have to do is look at the cross. The one who's all powerful being killed by the ones who are weak. Using power in a way that benefits those under his care and leadership. Then verse 11 says, Boaz, she asked a question. Remember this, verse 10, we've come a long way. But in verse 10, she asked a question. She said, she said why are you doing this? And Boaz answered her in verse 11, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people you did not know before. So we find out here that Ruth, her parents were alive. When she walks away and says, I'm going to follow God, she doesn't just leave the, famili- the familiarity of her country. She actually leaves her parents behind. Huge step of faith. Verse 12, he says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Boaz asks, he says, I'm praying that God would bless you. This brother doesn't know he's going to be the answer to that prayer. He's going to answer his own prayer. And Ruth says, you have spoken kindly to your servant. Kindly to your servant. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me, verse 13, and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. That where she says, you have spoken kindly to me, it could be translated, you have spoken upon the heart. She's comforted by his word. Again, when people are down, when people are in a tough spot, don't underestimate the power of your words. Don't underestimate how far, how long a kind word can go to help people. And then Boaz says, She has taken refuge under the wing of God. The wing of God speaks of protection, speaks of help, speaks of hope. This is the word for the non-Christian. I always try to talk to the unbeliever every time I preach. Sometimes I forget, but this time I remember. This is what we receive. This is what you receive when you choose to be like Ruth and come under the wing of God. There's protection from sin and death. There's help for the storms of life. There's hope for the future. If you've ever wondered, should I trust God with my life? Should I follow Jesus? Should I surrender to Jesus? A text like this tells you yes. Because the wing of God brings beautiful protection, hope, and help to our life. Now, 
Most of you, some of you know that I went to school in Nova Scotia, St. Francis Xavier, the greatest university in Canada. Now, there was one year where I was flying back with one of my teammates and we were on a, a WestJet flight and the plane was bobbing and weaving like a boxer. It was just dancing in the sky. And I'm pretty sure I was on that plane. I'm like, I'm going to meet Jesus tonight. I just, I thought it was going down. And I didn't feel hope. I'm not afraid of flying. I like driving more. But I didn't, I didn't feel hope. Like I said, the plane was just, it was just dancing. But I didn't feel hope until the pilot came on. A person I'd never met, right? I've said this before. When you get on a flight, it's a huge trust. It's just a bunch of people who slip into, the, into some kind of cabin. And they come on, hey, this is your captain, Rick. Hope we have a good flight tonight. It's like, I don't even know this brother, and I'm 30,000 feet up in the air, hoping that he gets it right and that he wasn't drinking today. So I didn't feel any hope as that thing was dancing in the sky until he said, We are beginning to make our descent. And then he put it on the ground. Now that feeling of hope that I had on, on that flight is the feeling Naomi is starting to have in this next section. She's starting to feel hopeful. Look at verse 18. It says, and she took it up, this is Ruth, and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. There, now, look at that. There's a reminder of a lack of selfishness even in Ruth. She took some food home. She didn't eat it all. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Now, this question, actually, she, knows, she looks, she's like, look at how much you have. Something unique must have started happening. She's like, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man name with whom I worked is Boaz. And Naomi said to her, her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And verse 21, and Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young women until they have finished all my harvest. This is a response that reveals a woman who is hopeful. Hopeful. Again, like we saw in the Habakkuk series, look at the transition in Naomi. When she got back, she didn't hide her disappointment with God. She was completely let down. Remember, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. But her response now is a response of praise, but not of Boaz. It's a response of praise to God. She is becoming hopeful, and she says that God has shown her kindness. The word here, I've said this already, kindness is hesed. The ESV translates it steadfast love. Listen to Daniel Block. He says, hesed is one of those Hebrew words whose meaning cannot be captured in one English word. 
This is, a strong, this is a strong relational term that wraps up in itself an entire cluster of concepts, all the positive attributes of God. Love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, covenant faithfulness. In short, the quality that moves a person to act for the benefit of another without respect to the advantage it might bring to the one who expresses it. God is being kind. She thought God had forsaken her. Remember that. That was the word she was using. But here you're seeing she's wrong. That God has been working and she finally sees it. Remember last week what we said. She was struggling to see that God was working in her life and now she sees God is working. I said this last week. Don't, and I'll say it again because it's important. Don't let the trials that are going on in your life blind you to the work that God is doing in you, blind you to the work that God is doing around you, blind you to the possibilities of what God could do in the future. He's always working in subtle ways. He's not sleepy, but working at all times. And she says, Boaz is one of our redeemers. Her mind is starting to turn. Chapter 3 is going to reveal that. One of our redeemers. The word here is goel. I don't even know if I said that right, but that's how it sounds to me. It means kinsman redeemer. Now, Boaz has this status because he's from the clan of Elimelech. Again, something important that the author told us about. He says the clan of Elimelech twice, verse 1 and verse 3. He, he, he's giving you little hints all the way. Whoever wrote this, giving hints all the way around. Now, let me explain to you the role of the kinsman redeemer. Here's the things that they could do. They could buy a relative out of slavery. So Leviticus shows that. They could buy back a relative's land. They should, could ensure justice if a relative is murdered. And they can receive retribution on behalf of a deceased relative. Now, Naomi is thinking about number two. She's thinking, Boaz can buy back the land that Elimelech sold off when, he, when they moved to Moab, she's thinking that, but Deuteronomy 25 is also on her mind. It says, if a brother dwells together and one of them dies and has a son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband, husband's brother to her. She's thinking, this might be the guy. She looks and she realizes Boaz can fulfill all of this. That's why she says, God has not stopped showing kindness to the living, her and Ruth, and the dead, her husband and sons. That's why she says that. God met their immediate need for food. But you got to listen to this. They still had a need. Remember, she brings home a ton of food. So they're okay. They're good for a while. But there's still a need. Do you know what the need is? They need Boaz to do it. And here's the thing. We know what Boaz does, but they don't. 
I'm always trying to, when I preach, lift people up and then just like drop us into the text because I want us to actually live in the world of the Bible and not just take, take it to be fictional, that this is actually real life story. So for us, this is a rebound movie. It's like watching Training Day again. We've seen it before. We know what the end is going to be, but they don't know. So the tension is actually still there. They have no idea. She is hopeful, but they don't know if Boaz is actually going to do it. And when you read chapter 3, which we'll do next week, you find out that there's another person. So they actually don't know. They don't know what this potential redeemer would do. But we know what our redeemer has done. We know what Jesus has done. See, Jesus lived a life of kindness and generosity. His whole life was that. Think about it. He, he healed the sick. They're just lowering people down in a roof to him. He's like, healed. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He asked his disciples, where are we going to find enough food to feed these guys? And, and, and then he just does it. He feeds 5,000 people. He taught the word of God. Parables, beautiful parables that teach powerful truth about God and his kingdom and what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ. He was friends with the outcasts. When people made a mess of their lives and the Pharisees were backing off for them, Jesus was going to their house, eating dinner with them, hanging out with them. He was friends to the people who were outcasts. He saved the party. Do you know Jesus saved the party? He's at a wedding, read John 2. And they run out of wine. And his mom shows up and she's like, you gotta do something about this. And he does. And then the party goes on. I wish I was at that party. He saves a party. He washed the feet of his disciples. He cried when people were hurting. He lived and he died in our place. And then it doesn't stop there. He sends the Holy Spirit to come and reside in our hearts so that we can live the Christian life and bring glory to God. And then it doesn't even stop there. Jesus is in heaven. And you know what the Bible says? He's interceding on our behalf, working still. And then he says, when I come, I'm going to serve you even more. It's a life of kindness and generosity towards us. Jesus is kindness and generosity. And what should that do in us? The kindness and generosity of Jesus Christ should flow from us. That's what it should do. When we think about all that he has done, every day is an opportunity for kindness, to live kind and generous ways to the people in our church, to the people in our local community, to the poor and the vulnerable around us who are suffering and hurting. It's an opportunity to be kind and reflect the heart of God to the world, to be like our Father. Godliness is God-likeness. That is what we are supposed to do. We have been shown kindness. And now in the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God, we spread kindness. God is kind and he meets the needs of the people who trust him. And sometimes he does that through the people who are walking with him, full of the spirit, willing to love and bless the people around them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. 
and a clear reminder of your kindness and your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for the way that you bless these two dear struggling ladies in history. Thank you for a man like Boaz who points to the true kind man, Jesus Christ, who gave all for us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who trust you so much that we, we walk in great obedience in reflecting you to the world. We pray, Lord, that we would see you for who you are, delight in your character, and Lord, in our living, reflect your character to the world around us. Thank you that I could talk and serve my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that they would have been helped. And I pray you'd help us to walk in the truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.